Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Work Item Podcast. And as you're listening to this, the war in Ukraine is still ongoing. So just as I did for the past couple episodes, I ask that you please go to den.dev slash Ukraine to find out how you and your families can help those the most in need in Ukraine right now. That's den.dev slash Ukraine. Now, to our show, I don't talk about data science enough on the podcast. To remedy that, I brought in a remarkable analytics and data science expert, Nick Wan, who is a director of analytics for Cincinnati Reds. Yes, the baseball team. We chat about his track from academia to working for a sports team and how to build a career outside your typical fang or is it manga scaffolding. Enjoy the show. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Work Item Podcast. It's another week, and every week we're bringing you insights about careers and stories about careers from some of the most prominent folks in the industry. And we do have a prominent person in the industry today, which is Nick Wan, Director of Analytics for Cincinnati Reds. I think this is the first time we have somebody coming on the show that works uh, with a sports team. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. Hello, hello. It's so great to have you on the show. Last time we chatted, we were just mentioning this before the show was, I want to say more than a year ago on your live stream. That's right. I had a, I want to say it was like in January. So I think we got the month right. Something like that. Yes. We'll need, we'll need to ask Meg when that was. I'm sure she, she has a better concept of time than us. Curious to learn about your careers. You are a prolific data scientist, uh, and you know so much about data and analytics. What drew you to this specific field? Why data and analytics? I was a neuroscientist. I was in grad school as a neuroscientist uh, doing my PhD. And in grad school, I had my postdoc lined up. And I was like, what would I leave my postdoc for? And I decided uh, a job in sports would be great. Uh, so I applied to a ton of different sports teams. And the Cincinnati Reds called me back. So this was actually my uh, my first time uh, out of academia uh, was a data science role with the Cincinnati Reds. And then, uh, you know, since then I had left the Reds. I had gone to work for KFC and then I have come back to the Reds as the director of analytics now. So, um, you know, it's, it's a it's a back. I don't know. Way back back in the day before the term data scientist. Uh, I I feel like I learned all the same or similar skills that a data scientist does through uh, my neuroscience program. So I didn't feel like it was a big leap into the world of data science. I, I just felt like I was doing, you know, research science still uh, just with, you know, baseball instead of brains. But uh, I, I feel like it's a, it's all one in the same once you get down to the data. What's that overlap like? Neuroscience and data science, it seems to me as somebody that's completely uninitiated in the field, that seems like such a leap, right? From one very complex domain to another very complex domain. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of overlap, actually. And, uh, you know, it starts with the statistics, right? So in psychological science and in neuroscience, there's a ton of statistics. And in 
data science, you're always doing, uh, you're always validating models through statistics. You're always doing things based on uh, statistical uh, methodology or, or modeling. So just from the kind of the, if you want to reduce machine learning or reduce data science down to sort of its component parts, statistics is a really big piece of it. So, so it, so it is uh, the same in neuroscience. So that's where it kind of starts. And then the programming side of it also, like uh, I, when I was uh, uh, doing my PhD, uh, a lot of that was in MATLAB. Uh, I, I then went from MATLAB, learned Python, and then jumped into uh, the Python world. And uh, a lot of data science jobs end up uh, having people like me do do stuff in, in Python as opposed to you know something like MATLAB or SAS. So uh, just from the programming statistics point of view, it's relatively similar. You're still taking gigantic sets of data. You're processing data through programming language. Uh, you're, you're creating outputs that, that have to be validated through statistics. Uh, the only difference in my mind is, you know, the, the visualizations at the end. Um, they, uh, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of brains, so I plotted things on a lot of brain-looking plots. Now I plot a lot of things looking like a... On the baseball field. So, speaking of baseball fields, the career path that you described is what I would say like non traditional because a lot of folks would stick with the typical fang companies, right? You know, and a lot of them have very well developed data science and analytics arms. You know, you're talking about the meta of the, meta of the world, Twitter, you know, Microsoft, Google, you and with the KFC. And Cincinnati Rads. Tell me more about what led you to that decision. Why not Fang? Yeah, you know, I once again, like it stemmed from sort of just like passion and like interest areas. Like I, I was never really interested in chasing like going into tech or going into data science as like the title or the career. Um, I, I was always more interested in do, in domain specific. Uh, projects like neuroscience, for instance, I was really interested in studying uh, social dilemmas and game theory and how we think about things uh, uh, when we're processing uh, game theorized or, or um, uh, finite decisions through through some sort of social space. Um, it was never about like, I want to be a neuroscientist. It was always more about the project. Uh, and that's the same with sports analytics. It's less about like wanting to work, say, at Amazon or or say at Google, uh, and it, it's more about wanting to work on a particular problem. And that problem, in my opinion, was like, how do we make players better through statistics? How do we optimize players' decision-making or players' reaction times or players' physical peak performance through analytics, through statistics, through data science? And, uh, you know, when you go from the project uh, point of view as opposed to the company point of view or the title-chasing point of view... Uh, you end up in different domains, right? Like, for instance, if you want to work in sports, you're going to end up on a sports team. If you want to work in marketing, you're going to end up in a marketing company. Uh, and those aren't traditionally things like, uh, you know, your typical fang or, or I guess like, it, 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 you know, we, I have a conversation conversation in my community. Is it fang now or is it like manga? I think like if you replace... I think it's manga, right? Because <laughs> it's... <laughs> right? <laughs> So that's a so in my mind, like yeah, if you go down a more say traditional route of what an engineer or what a computer scientist would go, they are typically targeting computer science or computer engineering jobs and titles and roles, and those are traditionally tech roles. But if you go down a path 
it's a little more project based. I think you end up in in places that are perhaps uh, less traditional than your typical fang manga companies. Also, your perspective here is interesting because it's the opposite of the common perspective on careers. Because a lot of folks, when they come out of college, they come out of a boot camp, they always look like, I want to work at company X. I want to work at company Y. And not a lot of them are actually thinking about, I want to work on a project that builds rockets to go into space. Like some of them do, but the vast majority that I talk to always think about the company. What can they do to shift that mindset? Yeah, I, you know, uh, it's interesting because I, I would say, I would, uh, you know, particularly for you, like when you, when someone asks you like, oh, what, like, how should I learn how to code? Like, this is a big question we all get, right? Like someone, someone's new and someone's a student, like, how do I learn how to code? How do I learn Python? How do I like learn data science? And typically my answer, which is the same as a lot of people's answer is uh, find a data set that's interesting to you and work on a problem from beginning to end. So if you're interested in uh, sports, for instance, uh, if you, you, you might want to be in like, you might want to know, can I predict how a batter will perform next year based off their previous uh, data? Or I might want to know how someone in the NFL will throw how many touchdowns they throw next year compared to their previous seasons. So when we talk about just even how we learn how to code, like take a project from beginning to end, well, like why doesn't that particular information, that particular advice travel all the way through to the point of the career that they want? Like when someone asks like, oh, I have these skills, like what careers or what companies should I work for? Which is kind of not a question people ask. The answer that you should kind of get to is like, what projects do you want to work on? And in my opinion, I think that's what's more meaningful to a lot of people at the end of the day. Like a lot of people end up transferring between teams or transferring between companies because of the content of their work. And uh, if you start with what you want to work on first, I feel like you're going to find so many different places that aren't specifically like these mainstream places that people want to work at. And they might be more fulfilling to you initially or maybe in the long term, I know uh, a lot of people end up finding like passion projects and they stay there for quite a long time. And uh, I'm I'm definitely one of those people. So uh, perhaps perhaps that's where it comes from. Perhaps that's where the mindset starts. I love the perspective because even what you talked about just now, learning how to code. Again, this is one of those things that sometimes folks get a little backwards or like, oh, I want to learn how to code. I'm going to start reading a book from beginning to an end about this programming language instead of focusing on what project do you actually want to build? I don't know about you. Like I learn when it comes to coding much, much faster if I want to build something. If I'm like, you know what? I want to reverse engineer this application. How do I go do this? And then you start Googling, you go to Stack Overflow, you find a book or something instead of just, okay, I'm going to read every book on reverse engineering now. Right. And, and like I... I always like people always ask me a similar question of like uh, beyond just wanting to get into or wanting to become a data scientist or wanting to learn how to program. They also always ask me like, how do I get into the sports industry? And it's the same answer at the end of the day. Like, how do I become a sports analyst? How do I become uh, a data scientist uh, for a baseball team? It's the same answer. It's uh, that and that answer is, you know, find a find the data set that you want to work on and and learn how to program it at the end of the day. And it's so interesting that so many um, of our, of these uh, STEM related fields are now converging onto this point of like, we need to focus on 
uh, programming and coding at an earlier level of the degree program or the program of study, we need more uh, access to to programming and statistics and statistics education and knowledge from an earlier point of uh, of entry because uh, that's becoming so much more and more important, not just in like baseball and not just in sports and not just in tech and data science, but like everywhere, right? We're seeing it in, in all industries now. That, that's including like a fried chicken, right? That's including KFC. Right, because there's... Despite what people might think, it's not just a fast food chain. There's a lot of stuff that folks do in terms of customer analysis and making sure they understand what customers want, why they want it, at what times. There's just so much work that I can think of just right right off the top of my head that needs to be done behind the scenes that it's you don't see it, but it's happening, right? Like just like with sports, folks see a baseball game, they go, oh, look at this guy is playing really well. But look over the history of a year and then start making those predictions, it's much harder. It's under that surface. That's right. I like KFC is a great example of like, uh, as you said, you're doing customer analytics, you're doing store analytics, you're doing product analytics. Uh, you're you're measuring the performance of a marketing campaign. You're measuring the performance of particular franchises or franchisees. Uh, and, and then that's just the U.S. part of it. There's also the global side of it. You know, global initiatives. Are there innovations in certain markets that are successful? Are there innovations in certain markets that are not successful? And these are all uh, questions you can answer through you know data collection, data ingestion, data analysis. Ultimately, some sort of data science and predictive methodology, uh, and, and that's that's all working under the hood. Yeah, like you said, and and the um, uh, it's no again. This is why I always go back to the idea that the jump from where I was in academia uh, into baseball, into you know fast food, back to baseball. Uh, in my mind, it's always been the same. It's always been like what what is that under the hood data structure processing pipeline analytical pipeline look like and and a lot of the times from from field to field it, it really is the same and speaking of academia something that i'm curious about because a lot of folks have this concept that when you work in academia or when you do active research it's all about the theory like in theory it should be this in theory it should be that and there's a lot of paper writing and when you work in the industry, it's more of just like, we have no time for papers. Let's just make this happen. Let's write a bunch of code and get this out the door. How realistic is that? Is that a misconception that this is the difference or is there more of an overlap? So definitely writing papers. You're definitely doing that in academia. There's a lot of paper writing. Uh, there's a lot of grant writing. So you spend a lot of time writing grants. Um, but but uh, in in and also in terms of industry, right? Like you and I both know, there's there's not a lot of paper writing. You're not researching things because they're interesting or fun to research. You're interesting. You're interesting, or you're researching things because uh, they need to be researched because uh, they they move whether it's uh, profit lines or whatever the measurability of your department is. So, um, so the the need is very different from both, right? One being like. The pursuit of knowledge and education and one being the pursuit of you know uh success or or profitability whatever the measure might be uh and and therefore the outputs are a little different so in academia you definitely don't spend a lot of time say uh doing things like automated pipelines doing things like uh you know uh devops or machine learning ops anything like that uh usually it's like some person like me who's coding things up and the notebook works once, 
and uh, you know you, you write your paper and you hope it works again when you hit run again. Um, but in industry, it's like if the you know your code goes through a peer review process, just like a uh, some sort of like a paired co programming or some sort of code review, and then your uh, code is validated through some sort of QA check, and your queries are validated through QA checks, and all these pieces are, are making sure that consistency through your analytical pipeline is is there. Because at the end of the day, you have to like produce something and, and it needs to be reproducible. Uh, it needs to scale. Uh, these aren't things in in academia or research science that uh, that we we typically care about. Just because like you know the sample sizes I was working with as a neuroscientist was like you know I I record forty people and then that's what I'm supposed to generate groundbreaking new information from. Whereas like you know, a typical data set at KFC, I'm working with like 40 million transactions. And it's like, you know, that that's like small amounts of data in, in our case. So, so it's, it's a, you know, there, there's a lot of overlap, but there's also very stark differences. So it's much easier to draw conclusive insights from kind of the industry point of view, just purely because if you're working on a product that is popular, you get, well, more data, which is kind of obvious, but it just makes the job a little easier because you're more confident in the insights that you get. That's right. You know, we always have that sample size issue. Like, I'm sure you get it a lot with like, you know, what what is a good sample size, right? Like, uh, I know there's ways to ask these questions more statistically, like with a power analysis, but uh, in terms of just gut feel, like, you know, is 100,000 customers correct is, is uh, you know, a thousand times a person does something like is that good enough for for a representation of their true ability uh you know these are a lot of these things i feel like uh they're easier to answer in in industry because you get those numbers in academia you know i i'm like begging people to come in i'm paying them like here's a hundred dollars to sit in this chair for two hours please come into my lab and you know it you're, you're barely getting 40 people at that point. Are you still coding as director of analytics? Because to me, when I hear director, that means like, okay, you have a lot of responsibility of managing people, managing teams, and there's very little time for coding. How is that going for you? Yeah, there's, uh, there is very little time for coding. I, I consider myself like 95% hands-off keyboard. Um, so a lot of management, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of overseeing, uh, my direct reports, a lot of communicating across to the other directors in our organization. Uh, but the 5% hands-on keyboard, there is like, you know, some passion projects or pet projects that I have on the side. They're sometimes, you know, uh, low lift, uh, but but if we get anything from it, it, it's exciting for people to see research in, in really experimental fields. And as you know, you know, uh, being a neuroscientist, I, I just couldn't let my skills go to waste. So we still do a little psychology and neuroscience here at the Reds. And uh, I, I'm the only one really pushing that experimental envelope on our end. Uh, and, and so any work I get done there, I think a lot of people are really appreciative of it. Uh, but it's not necessarily my main role. And, and no one's necessarily relying me relying on me to to produce these kinds of insights. So so it's kind of a win-win. I still get to kind of code every now and then, and I get to use like some of my PhD. But uh, uh, it's definitely not my primary role. I and and truly, I, I do like the the directing more than I do the hands-on. There's way better hands-on keyboard people now than I than I. I, I 
very happy that they're on my team. So that that is so relatable because the same way every time I talk to the engineers that I work with, like y'all are all smarter than me by magnitudes and magnitudes. But sometimes I still like to code. I like to get my hands with some product that we're building or sometimes to fiddle with something that is completely useless, which leads me to the question. So, okay, you have the 5% to code and be hands on the keyboard. How do you keep your skills sharp given just the amount of, you know, management time that is being spent? Like, are there any tricks that you've learned in your career to make sure that you're aware of what's happening in the industry, what tools to use and how to best use them, stuff like that. There's a lot of people out there that are similar to me who find who like don't, who don't necessarily think of their programming skills as just like a tool that they use from nine to five. Uh, a lot of people are out there like fun coding, right? Like, uh, you know, whether it's a uh, advent of code or doing random Kaggle competitions or whatever it might be. Uh, for me, it, you know, I, I do find myself doing a lot of coding on my on my live stream. Uh, so I stream every night from like 8.30 p.m. Eastern uh, for about four-ish hours. And uh, I, I, I'm usually exploring sort of the the new landscape there. Uh, I, I don't do it very well. I, I wouldn't consider myself any expert in anything. But I do like to, to dabble in new packages when they come out, new different visualization tools as they as they get deployed. Uh, uh, a lot of my coding, uh, all my coding is still in Python. It's funny because I uh, my entire uh, data science team all works in R. So <laughs> uh, just being the, the one Python guy in, in the, the forest of R people is always funny and fun. Uh, but I, I still like pushing the envelope there, learning more about the the technical side and it, more of a hobby point of view, not necessarily as a, uh, you know, a high stakes in my company and need to be the bearer of knowledge point of view. Uh, so, so I feel like that's, that's how I do it, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people approach this differently. Like some people like, like enjoy, you know, taking a semester and doing like courses or some people like, you know, exploring like a, a Coursera kind of thing, or I, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I, I just find myself like, uh, just like how I tell people, I find myself finding a data set I really like. And then uh, trying to do something with with some new tools. Are there any fundamental skills that you feel are the most useful for somebody that wants to break into analytics and data science? Something that is, you know, regardless of which college you go to, regardless of which job you work at, it's more about like a foundational one. Yeah, I uh, I get this question a good amount. People want to make the jump from, you know, some programming centric field to data science. For people who are just like on the outside looking in, they hear of the title and they they look it up on Glassdoor, they see what's going on. Um, my my best advice is take one semester of statistics, take intro to statistics, and if you like it, then you might like data science because uh, again, at the end of the day, a lot of the things that the data scientists end up doing is trying to create statistical models or validate their models using some sort of form of statistics. And uh, you really have to, you know, want, you really have to know statistics to some extent. You can't just fake your way through statistics. Um, they, the, the best way to do that is, in my opinion, just take a course. It's it, people think of like, oh, I don't want to go back to school or I don't want to, you know, spend. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like, well, 
you got to learn these skills somehow, right? And, uh, you know, what, who better than a professor of statistics to teach you? Uh, so, so that's what I would, I would recommend. It, it, it's not even programming related at all, but I would say if you are interested in data science, then you should also be interested in statistics. I'm curious if there's a path to working in data science and analytics without formal education, right? Because it seems it's a very intimidating field for folks that are very, uh, like, I personally love math, but I know a lot of folks that are just so, like, the moment you tell them, like, there's math involved, they're like, oh, no. And it's kind of like backs you up. But there's also a lot of beautiful things that you do in data science and analytics, like you said, with Python, where you start coding and you start visualizing data, which is, you know, yes, there's a degree of math complexity to it, but it's not the only thing. So do you think that there, you know, formal education is a prerequisite or is there a way around that? You know, okay, so two takes on this one. My my one take, which is a personal take, is I myself was really bad at math and science when I was uh, in high school and before that. I was I was really a bad student in general. I, I, uh, I didn't do very well at all. People don't believe me when I when I tell them I didn't do bad at all, but uh, I I promise you, if you look up my transcripts, they they are not good from high school and before, uh, especially in math and science. Um, and so, in, in one hand, like because I wasn't necessarily gifted or had an interest from an early age, and that didn't really occur to me through college up until like you know, three, my third year at community college, um, I, I, I would say that like, you know, that struggle of like finding what I was really interested in that took like the, just as long, that actually took shorter in a weird way, uh, than me trying to find the realm of data science. So, so this is like on one side, like I'm a great example of like, uh, you don't necessarily have to be into math or into science or do well in either to end up finding your way there. But I would also say that is like the harder path, right? That's like, uh, like the path I was on, it took me like many, many more years than, you know, uh, people who were actually interested in math, actually interested in science to get to where I am. Uh, and, and I would say, I would suggest that if you are, you know, if you're already not necessarily interested in science or not necessarily interested in math, um, it, it's going to be a pretty difficult field to get into. Um, I I can absolutely say it's going to take you maybe twice as long as everyone else to get into that field. Uh, you know, I, I basically took that long to get into it. Uh, but I, I, I would say that it's not impossible, but you really like the thing that needs to drive you is something beyond liking math or liking science. And again, I think it does go back to the idea of like the projects you're interested in. Sometimes you just get a question and like, yeah, it like itches at your brain and like, you just want to like go back and like research it or study it. And you get to a point where like, okay, well, I can't do this on my own in Excel anymore. What's the next step? And then that kind of forces you into a path of like, oh, I guess I have to learn math now. Uh, and that was my experience. So, so it's possible but you really need to have something else that's driving you. Yes, that motivator is the best feeling that you can possibly have when it comes to our industry specifically, because I, I know that from my own experience, when it comes to figuring out like some kind of API or trying to you know 
figure out how an application works. And then just that kind of like, you know, like I can't sleep because I need to figure this out because I'm so close and I know that I'm going to get to it. And then you just realize like, okay, I, I lack the knowledge in this one area. So I go and go find it. That's right. And I t- truly, I, I've lived my life this way. I've lived my life where, you know, a, a question has itched my mind until I, I, I scratched it. So, And then when you find a solution, it feels great because you're like, finally, yes, I, I got this and it works. Everything that you knew going into kind of the, the industry from academia, you had a lot of, I don't want to say kind of prep for the job you're in, but you had an idea of what you're getting into. You're kind of had this picture, you had the skills. What's something that caught you by surprise going into data science and analytics that as you started working on it, you're like, huh, I guess it's not quite as I expected that to be. What was that moment? Yeah, I so as a as a self-taught coder, as a person who like learned Python after learning MATLAB, um, the world of MATLAB, at least a lot of the MATLAB I was exposed to, nothing was really in functions. And so like the first like small step, which in my mind, looking back is like, oh my gosh, like that's a gigantic step. Um, it was like a, <laughs> just functionizing things, uh, putting things into functions and, and having like explicit functions for every little thing that you're doing. Like they teach you that in computer science and computer engineering. They definitely don't teach you that in neuroscience school. Uh, so so that was a big, that was a big like, you know, small thing in, in my mind uh, that like there was a huge disconnect between the stuff I learned and how I learned versus like what was was expected of me in, in the industry. And then like the steps after that are just like monumental steps, like knowing what version control is, you know, like being able to check code in and out. Uh, that that was something where it was like, oh, I have we I, I know of Git, I know of how to of version control, but I've never had to use it for any of my projects. And then having to do that like on a daily or like an hourly or by minute by minute basis now, it's like, how how did I not know this? <laughs> but uh how, you know, put learning it later in your career, it seems like uh it seems just like another thing, you know, like another like, oh, you weren't quite there yet. You have to know version control. You have to know uh, Docker, like learning Docker was a thing where I was like, oh, we, this is a great way to like, you know, keep our environments not messing up local or not messing up, you know, the server, <laughs> but, uh, now we have to learn it. So I, I think it's a mix of like, uh, the different tech stacks that, that you end up having to, to learn, whether like it flows through a DevOps team or whether it flows through, uh, like your own good coding practices and then on top of that just the constant need to to learn new tech stack uh layers so whether it's like uh you know learning kubernetes instead of uh you know just doing things off like a local docker learning how to integrate with you know snowflake and with azure uh that you know that that's uh these are these are different things that i you know it's a constant learning process. That that was really surprising, I think. The tech stack part is also one of the honestly like underrated components of our tech careers because you hear about it and you're like, I don't need this. This is like I, I need to learn this, whatever. And then once you start trying it, you're like, why haven't I not been using this for the past five years? This is awesome. It's that kind of dilemma between 
I don't need this. It's too hard. It's too complex versus, oh my gosh, please give me more of this. Exactly this. Yeah. I, I like the, the way that it hit me, like the hardest was, um, through my entire PhD, um, I, I never used a database. Like it was just like CSVs, right? Like floating around in space. Um, and, uh, uh, I knew of databases and I was like, oh, I, well, I don't want to have to learn how to write Spark or how to write SQL. Uh, that's just another thing that I don't want to learn. I have to do my PhD. M knowing now how, like, you know, integrated and how kind of keystone pulling data in is from from di different database sources, it's like, why didn't I learn this sooner? Like, this is, this is genius. <laughs> I should have done this throughout my PhD. Right? And stuff that actually makes your life easier. And you're like, if only I knew this and spent the time when I had the chance. So That's much right. better. So much better. So much better. Now I have a question for you. We talked about the projects. We talked about foundational skills. We talked about something you did not expect in your career and having that motivator for folks that want to pursue it. What's one piece of unconventional advice you'd give somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps? They listen to this episode and be like, I want to be like Nick. I want to become a director of analytics at some point in my career. What's something that you'd recommend? Uh, I would say um, like something that I find. Okay, so something that I find a lot in tech. This is good. This, I don't know. This might be a hot take. I don't know. Um, I love hot takes. Fantastic. Let's go. <laughs> um Something that I find in, a lot in tech is when people get promoted into managerial or leadership positions, it's usually based off the work they've done from a technical point of view. And it's not usually based off whether they're going to be a good leader, or good manager. And uh, something that's really important that I've found throughout many different paths I've, I've seen now and many different friends I've made in the industry uh, is you a great manager or a great leader is someone who wants to be a great leader, someone who wants to be a great manager. And, uh, you know, the best engineer might not necessarily be the best person to lead or the best person to manage. And so I spent a lot of my, uh, you know, handful of years now crafting out how I want to be a leader, because that's ultimately the path I saw for myself is less hands on keyboard, more, understanding the technology, understanding data science, and being able to, you know, see a vision long term or be able to plan out project uh, roadmaps and be able to grow people and uh, identify their their skill sets. And I think what's important is to, uh, one, like ask, asking yourself if that's something you want to do. And two, uh, building in intention and intentionality into your current job to get you those skills. So really fighting for becoming a better leader it's uh it's something that is like not necessarily a part of a lot of people's program it's not a part of a lot of people's responsibilities or uh or uh workflow or sprint plans as like uh are you doing things that uh, allows you to contribute as a decision maker or leader in some process are you overseeing like an intern program? Are you uh, a part of some sort of onboarding process or hiring process? Are you uh, uh, doing things in terms of uh, documentation and, and being able to uh, disseminate information or communicate information outward? These are things that a lot of 
people in my position end up having to do. But if you come from a strictly technical background, uh, you might not have been exposed to those things. And then you're thrown into the fire of like, okay, now you have to talk to 20 people a day and you have to be very good at communicating your results. And if you're not spending time to, to work on that uh, before you get there, uh, you're gonna have you're gonna have a, a some rough road ahead of you until you kind of you know become be a, become a great communicator. I love that. I, I love the perspective of the skill set shifts when you get into managerial positions because it's not just about your technical capabilities. And an interesting thing that's happening too is what I've noticed is as you folks get into these managerial positions and they grow in their career as leaders it's kind of converging across roles. If you're an engineering manager, you're a product manager lead, you're a director of analytics, there is such a huge overlap between those that is not there when you think about, okay, there's an engineer and the data scientist. They kind of do different things. But the more you grow on the career ladder, the more they kind of become similar, very like scarily similar. Yeah, like especially when it comes down to just like, from the, the people growing perspective, like uh, what do they like? What does an individual want in, in their career path? And it's like, oh, I want to go from this role into a senior role, into a principal role. And yeah, that's the same for whether you're like a database person or whether you're uh, some sort of UX UI person. It's it's always sort of the the same kind of laddered system, but. Uh, you know, the technicalities or the projects might be slightly different. And, and so I agree, like that, that managerial aspect from a technical perspective, you, you really do want to like, you know, gain skills at being a good leader. And, and uh, if, if you aren't yet anyone listening to this, if you weren't, you know, ask your manager how. Ask your manager how. Great advice from a great person. Nick, where can folks find you online and learn more about what you're doing? You could find me in a few different places. Twitter is a good place to get to me. That's uh, twitter.com slash Nick Wan, N-I-C-K-W-A-N. Uh, you could also find me on Twitch, where I stream Monday through Thursdays. That's uh, twitch.tv slash Nick Wan, N-I-C-K-W-A-N underscore datasci, D-A-T-A-S-C-I. Nice. And it is a must-see live stream. So do go there. Do subscribe. Do watch the live stream. Nick, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Yeah, this was so fun. Thanks for having me on.